Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who loves comics, and I'm joined by a couple of other grown men. Um, We're going to talk today about what I consider to be a great classic Bark story. We'll be talking about the seasonally appropriate cold bargain, at least pretty cold where I am. And I am joined by a returning guest who is a comic book fan, but a Carl Barks newbie. Um, And that's Ryan. Say hello, Ryan. Hello, everyone. And then uh, as as a new guest, I'm joined by Veiko Suvanto, who is um, joining us by way of, from Poland, but by way of Finland, right? You are a Finnish fan, Veiko? Uh, yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Excellent. Um, so, so Ryan, I was wondering, have you ever gotten overextended in an auction? <laughs> um, probably not to the extent uh, that he did. I, I've never spent a trillion dollars on anything. I do um, collect autographs, and sometimes... If you're keeping an eye out for the good pieces, sometimes you see a good piece that you know you're not going to see again. (laughs) And I remember there was one uh, in one um, collector group I was in, uh, someone was selling his pieces that had already been dedicated, meaning it said to so-and-so, but they said to Ryan. And and so there was a a hand-drawn picture by Matt Groening uh, of Lisa Simpson saying, hi, Ryan, and then signed by Matt Groening and dated. And then another one of um, Edna Mode from The Incredibles drawn by Brad Bird and signed by Brad Bird that also said, hi, Ryan, no capes. And both of those were so choice. <laughs> pretty, and uh... they were, and both of those guys are pretty expensive on their own. Like right. which one would be uh, probably a few hundred uh, depending on the circumstances. But um, uh, they were a little cheaper because who would want one that's already dedicated to someone else, you know, that has someone else's name on them. So, sure. so it was a very good deal for me, but also uh, a little more than I would usually spend, but they were so excellent. <laughs> hard, to, hard to pass up. Right. Awesome. Yeah. And how about you, Vaco? This is your first time joining me on the podcast. Um, when people join me for the first time, I like to learn a, a little bit about them as, as Carl Barks fans and, and, you know, your own perspective. So, you know, tell us about how long you've been reading Barks. Uh, well, I've been reading Barks as long as I can remember, uh, because uh, as a lot of uh, Finnish children of my generation and also former generation uh, generations, I uh, grew up uh, reading uh, Donald Duck magazine uh, or first having it read to me and then uh, learning to read, of course, uh, from it. Pretty much as far back as I, I, can, I can remember, I was also aware of uh, Carl Barks as, as this uh, guy who, who really best uh, Donald Duck uh, comics. When I was growing up in the mid-80s, it, it was a very good period for the Finnish uh, Donald Duck uh, magazine. Uh, they they had this uh, uh, editorial uh, column sort of uh, similar to the one that that, that was in the uh, American uh, Gladstone issues at that at that time, and they would often feature uh, articles there uh, about uh, Carbarks. Uh, Carbarks was, uh, at the time, I, I think, the only artist who would be mentioned by name. I mean, uh, all the all the artists in the in the in the comic book were still uh, not credited, uh, even even Barks. 
but uh, it, it was a sort of an open secret that that these Kutkangs uh, were were drawn by by Barks and 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 his name uh, was was mentioned there, and 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 they they also uh, answered letters from the from the readers. Yeah, he's always been like the the good duck artist. Yes, uh, it's. It's so fun hearing to me. It's so fun hearing about European readers who had this experience that I I wish I'd had, you know, being read Karl Barks to me. I was just I was lucky to find it. Uh, they revived the series back when DuckTales was was launched. But yeah, it's great. A lot of a lot of Scandinavian and European readers have similar experiences to you. Do you do you have any favorite stories that are like really uh, significant to you, Veiko? Uh, well, since we are uh, getting near to the uh, Christmas or, or in the Christmas season, I, I, I would like to mention uh, one of my all-time favorite stories, uh, A Letter to Santa. Uh, that must be my favorite of the uh, Barks uh, Christmas stories. And, and it's, it's also one of the earliest that I can remember from my childhood because it, it was uh, first published in Finnish Town Duck magazine in the mid-80s when I, when I was a child. So I, I, I remember it uh, coming out in these uh, installations uh, just before Christmas, I think, in 1985 or, or 1986. So that's, that, that, nice. that's, that's one of the uh, earliest memories and, and uh, still one of my uh, favorite stories. Oh, yeah. A big fan of Letter to Santa. That's uh, that's a great Barks Christmas story. So 85, 86, I think you started reading just around the same time I did. It was probably late 80, uh, probably early 87 for me, I'm going to guess. Donald Duck Magazine is Aku Anka. Is that how you say it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've, I've never actually heard it said aloud, so I was kind of curious. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Vaco. All right. So, gentlemen, I'm really excited to talk about this. This is a longtime favorite of mine. I, I came across like a, a list on one of my old computers that I had made of some of my favorite Carl Bark stories a couple of decades ago. Um, and I did mention this on like my top 10 list. I don't know that I'd put it quite up that high these days, but I, I have I, th- there's like a place in my heart for this story. I think there's a lot of about it that works really well. Um, kind of the the unspoken premise of this series that I guess I'm saying out loud is that all of these stories are worth talking about. Um, but I think this one is is more worth talking about than than a lot of them because we've got like this really neat Cold War intrigue aspect in in a cold bargain. I mean, you know, right in the title, it's kind of evocative of of the thing of the Cold War and the United States's like nuclear standoff with the Soviet Union. And Barks is gonna, you know, that the comics came out of the Second World War. Barks was he started doing them when the U.S. was in the midst of it. Um, and so a lot of the stories were informed by that. Ryan, you were you were with me in some of the, those earlier stories. I, I imagine even if it's not overt, you can probably see a lot of the undertones, right? How can you escape it? I'm thinking especially of like when we did Terror of the River, and you know, with the sea serpents. That one felt very informed by World War II. And this is the other great geopolitical conflict that's going to kind of that's going to kind of undergird what Barks is doing. And he doesn't often go as like obvious into it as he does in this story. But but for that reason, it's really historically interesting to me. Um, Ryan, were you kind of thinking about about that history as you read this one? Um, A little bit. Yeah, I thought it actually seemed a lot more focused on those 
kinds of things than the other ones were. The other ones seemed more um, kind of uh, more like uh, National Geographic, explore the world, kind of these are interesting cultures and exploring the bottom of the sea and finding a lost knight and right. all these other things uh, that could happen in, in any time, any kind of adventure story. It could have been an Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, you know. Yeah, a lot of the ones that I had you join for were, were kind of more of those early, like almost travelogue stories that Barks did. Um, I guess you could kind of call them post-colonial in a lot of ways. But um, yeah. what, what about you, Vaco? You know, as someone who grew up kind of on the edge of the Eastern Bloc, I imagine that that to you, the, the Cold War uh, elements really stand out in this one. Um, well, yes. I mean, uh, especially when I was uh, rereading it now, I, I was uh, thinking of the uh, Cold War uh, aspect um, I would say even even more than uh, when I uh, originally originally read it. I, I I don't have any very strong recollections of um, actually first uh, reading this this uh, this story, but I remember very well uh, when I got the uh, publication where it was uh, first published in uh, in 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 Finland uh, because it, it it was very unusual in that it didn't uh, uh, appear in the uh, actual uh, Donald Duck magazine. Uh, instead, it was published in this uh, paperback series that um, I'm sure all the uh, Finnish uh, listeners are, are very uh, familiar with and, and probably some uh, Italian and uh, German listeners as well because they uh, the, this, uh, this same series was published in, in, the, in those uh, countries as well. It was this uh, series of uh, paperbacks about uh, 200 pages each that uh, usually uh, featured this, uh, this uh, uh, very weird Italian uh, duck and, and uh, Mickey Mouse stories those uh, Italian stories now they can be pretty uh, surreal and uh, Mindering, uh, some extent, and and that's, it, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 stories and, get a little odd. Right, right, and then they, they uh, tend to have to have uh, have this. Uh, Camp value uh, almost uh, sometimes. Uh, some are some are a bit better than others, and but uh, but some some are just uh, you know downright downright weird. And yeah. so so this 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 series uh, generally had had this uh, bit of like a bargain basement uh, quality. Uh, only the uh, every second page or page spread was uh, colored, so so you had these uh, black and white pages alternating wow. with uh, with color ones. But 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 then uh, suddenly in the fiftieth uh, uh, installment of this series, uh, which came out in nineteen. Um, uh, but, but but in this uh, 50th installment, they uh, suddenly published uh, not only this uh, this story called Bargain, but uh, two other uh, Bark stories as well: the Secret of the Atlantis and uh, the City of Golden Roofs. Uh, and, and none of those uh, those stories had had, had uh, come out in uh, in uh, in Finnish um, before. So 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 this was this was really kind of an uh, event. And uh, and usually this story called Bargain is 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 one that Finnish Barks fans uh, remember from that. That, that paperback they, they remember that but this was the book where where it could uh, finally be published because uh, uh, of course uh, when the uh, when it was uh, originally published in the United States in uh, 1957 this, uh, this was a very very uh, difficult time for uh, uh, Finland and the uh, Soviet Union especially the late 50s and uh, and early 60s when this uh, story could have uh, conceivably uh, come out in, uh, in in the in the Finnish uh, Donald Duck so so it, 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 it wasn't published then in in Finland and and in fact it wasn't published in uh, any of the Scandinavian countries that uh, uh, that uh, published Donald Duck comics at the time so not in Denmark Sweden or or, or Norway and I, right. I so of, I, but uh, I imagine 
sorry to sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Like like as you're saying here, it would have been especially um, sensitive probably to publish it in Finland at that time, right? Yes, yes, uh, uh, especially since in 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 those years, you Finland and the Soviet Union did have these uh, crises where uh, the Soviets would uh, withdraw their uh, ambassadors from Finland, and, uh, and there the, the were all these uh, negotiations, and uh, even even uh, uh, cartoons were uh, sometimes. Uh, I mean, I mean. Uh, political cartoons were uh, sometimes uh, in, involved in, in all this because there was this um, one political political cartoonist in particular uh, who drew for the biggest Finnish uh, daily paper and he often uh, drew caricatures of um, Nikita Khrushchev uh, who is also caricatured in this uh, in this uh, Marx uh, story or at least uh, that's, uh, that's what uh, some people say and uh, it uh, got, got to the point in uh, 1959 that uh, actually the uh, Finnish president uh, at the time, Urho Kekkonen had to apologize for these uh, uh, cartoons that were, that were published in this uh, in this in this uh, daily newspaper oh, <laughs> uh, to, to the to the uh, Soviet representatives and uh, it's uh, uh, important for uh, Donald Duck because uh, Donald Duck magazine was uh, part of this uh, same publishing house that that, that also published this uh, uh, this uh, this daily newspaper and and that was also the Finnish publisher of uh, Reader's Digest uh, magazine. So, so so they would have been they would have been paying attention by then. Yes, it's, I, I think I think it's very very probable that uh, that uh, you might have actually had a, had a situation where the president has to apologize for. Yeah, a, a, a is it talk. fair to say? Um, do you think? Do you think it's fair to say that this story, had it been published, could have sparked a geopolitical crisis? Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> or, or or at least been, been you know, uh, or at least it. some friction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It would have it would have probably sparked an international apology. That's that's really fascinating to me. And and to be clear, you know, I think this is a great story in its own regard. I'm not just interested in talking about it as as a Cold War parable or or whatever, but I, I think this is a really fun you know, I saw someone somewhere say that it's almost unfair to call this an adventure story because it's like it's it's a pretty slapstick romp. It's it's very funny. Um, it definitely has like the tone and the trappings or the setting of an adventure story, but it's uh, it's it's very farcical too in a way that I really like. Yes, yes, I I, I agree with that, and uh, that's also the reason why it's uh, one of my favorites of these um, uh, late fifties uh, Scrooge stories. Um, I'm I'm not such a great fan of the uh, more uh, adventure type uh, stories, the, the ones that take uh, place in some uh, exotic places and, and where they're hunting for treasures or... or right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, something I, that I'm observing as I do the series is that like the real Barks fans, you know, they, they kind of think more highly of a lot of the 10 pagers. Um, oh, yes. For my part, you know, the podcast, it's just more interesting to talk about the adventure stories. But I do love talking about, you know, we've got the 10 page podcast for that. Um, I have a noob question. Yeah, I love <laughs> I love noob questions. What is part of what I've got you on here for, you know? So uh, the first episode, probably the first few episodes I was on, the comic was called Donald Duck Adventures. And this comic is called Uncle Scrooge. And I was wondering if this is like a sequel series or if there are multiple series running parallel. That is a good question. So the, these have been reprinted so many times, right? That the scans that I would have sent you, they'd have been from titles that only existed later on, you know, the Donald Duck Adventures and Uncle Scrooge Adventures series. Most of the ones you were originally on for would have been published in a series called Four Color or One Shots, where it alternated every 
issue. It might have been like Bugs Bunny one issue and then Little Lulu. And eventually Western publishing, if they had like a breakout issue, they might spin that off into its own title. You know, so that yeah. that happened for both Uncle Scrooge and and Donald Duck. The, the on the strength of the Carl Barks stories, Western spun them off into um, Uncle Scrooge. You know, only a poor old man was was basically his trial, and it was a big deal that he got his own character spun off into its own line. Um, and he was the Uncle Scrooge comics line. It was a bi monthly comic, I believe, for the most part. And they only published it for the first many years of its existence when there was new Barks content. But but it's safe to say that Barks' career is kind of split into the Donald-focused stuff and then the Scrooge-focused stuff, right? So so I'll kind of transition here into the, the comic itself, right? Because we're up to Uncle Scrooge number 17 at this point. It's only been around for a, a few years as a title. Mm-hmm. Um, as Vaco said, this one was, it had a cover date at least of early 1957. And this one's been reprinted nine times. So Ryan, you know, at the first printing would have been as the Uncle Scrooge title, but then it, it'll, it'll, it might be published in whatever, you know, kind of lineup they think that, that they're running at the time basically. And in Disney comics heyday for a while, there was enough material to support an Uncle Scrooge and an Uncle Scrooge adventures in, in that, that nice golden age when, when Vaco and I started reading. Yeah. So let's see, this one is page length wise. This one is kind of a, it's a longer story. It's almost 27 pages. We've already talked a little bit about some of the kind of culture and the history behind this one, which is I think very interesting, but Vaco, you mentioned Khrushchev is Russian one of your languages? Um, yes, uh, uh, Russian was uh, actually my uh, first uh, foreign language. Uh, nice. In 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 school. So uh, how should we oh. all be pronouncing his name? Khrushchev. Khrushchev. Uh, well, I I think the uh, standard English tra- uh, translation or or the, or the way of writing it is uh, Khrushchev. Uh, however, in uh, in Russian, it should be pronounced uh, Khrushchev. 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 Uh, yeah. Okay. With the, awesome. With the, yeah. So. Ryan, did you did you catch uh, that? Oh, I'm I'm spacing on the word for a um cari- uh, that that caricature. Did you recognize him as a Khrushchev caricature, the um, Brutopian ambassador? No, definitely not. I could probably uh, I could probably recognize a Stalin analog, but I I actually don't know what Khrushchev looks like. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think he kind of famously has that sort of um, bald dome and that slightly irregular shape to his head. I think most people who who know what what the what that uh, the premier, right? They were premiers back then. Yeah, premiers what, or what the uh, Soviet premier cha- looked chairman, like. I, I, I think the chairman was, yeah. would probably have recognized him as being a caricature. However, I did. I, I'm so glad that I looked at my Gladstone reprint because there's a quote from Barks at the end. You know, it ends with that weird, like, cutoff page where it's three fourths of a page. And Gladstone chose to put a small um, exchange that Barks made. I think it was in one of his letters called The Trillion Dollar Ball. Um, and, and in it, he said, he poses this question that fans have asked him Was the Brutopian ambassador anybody in particular? Nope. He was a composite 
of power-hungry arms buyers from many nations with notions. I should probably have given him the face of one of my sneering pig villains that appeared a lot in later years, but I wanted to make him look compositely international. So that's what he officially says, but I'm, I'm going to call BS. I'm going to say that he <laughs> is clearly intended to my eye to be a, a Khrushchev caricature. What, what do you think, Veiko? Uh, yes, I mean, I, I also read th- uh, that uh, statement from uh, Barks, and it's, it's, a, it's a bit uh, puzzling. I, I, I'd like to know uh, what uh, exactly was uh, behind it. I mean, I mean did uh, Gladstone uh, write to Barks and, and uh, ask him to uh, write something, and uh, did, did Barks maybe write this kind of uh, tongue, tongue-in-cheek uh, notes, because, because he uh, basically uh, disavows uh, any Cold War uh, connections for the, for the story. He also says that it, it's, a, or such a that it's a complete coincidence that the uh, element that everyone's after is called a bombastium. Uh, just says, right. says that. Uh, yeah. Do uh, you want to read us the the other part I left out? That here, you know what? Let me. I'll just mention the yeah, bombastium, I, and then I'll have you read that that quote in just a moment. Because this is the other element of the the story that I find really cool. It it's one of the many many pieces of pop culture where the creator has to like make up an invented element and and i love that and in this case it's called it's called bombastium and i think that it's one of the best named of these like fake elements you guys we we can all probably think of a few you know other movies and shows that have used pretend elements do do either of you guys have uh have a, a favorite that comes to mind, you know, like I think people would probably commonly think of like unobtainium. Is that, is that what avatar mm-hmm. called it? Um, yeah, uh, possibly. I've, I've never seen the movie. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty on the nose one. Marvel themselves have a couple of different ones, right? Like adamantium and vibranium is the vibranium, the one from Wakanda and the black uh, Panther. Yeah. Um, my, one of my favorite series, Discworld has octiron. There's just so many of these, and they're always a lot of fun. So, Vaco, you want to tell us the the quote that Barks has in that about bombastium? Yes, oh, I just sure. remembered. Yeah. So I'm looking. Oh, up, yeah. No, now I'm looking up a, a, a list of fictional elements. One of which is bombastium on the yep. on the Wikipedia. <laughs> but I was just reminded of uh, Element Zero from Mass Effect. Nice. Um, from back in the day, uh, Mass Effect has really really detailed like uh history Lore. and everything to kind of explain everything in the game if you're willing to learn it all and uh they in this uh, fictional future they've discovered element zero which if you run a current through it it makes something have no mass um which then under under the laws of relativity now you can fire that thing past the speed of light because it's not breaking any rules and uh so they kind of came up with this contrived uh, reason why we're allowed to travel the galaxy in this game in this oh, hard sci-fi nice. game. Yeah, yeah it's cool. It's neat when they'll actually try a justification and and some of these elements are just like really valuable or some of them do something very specific, like in the case of this story. So, Veiko, why don't you tell us what, what Barks says about Bombastium? Uh, yes, so so here's the uh, quote from Barks. Uh, Back in the 1950s, the financial news and most scientific publications were uh, surfeiting with tongue-twisting names of new elements that scientists were busily sifting from uh, rare earths or splattering on the walls of cyclotrons. I don't find bombastium yet in the table of elements, but I won't be surprised if it suddenly appears. Scientists will surely uh, run out of letters uh, at some point and have to use B-O-M 
sooner or later. So, uh, so there he's uh, <laughs> sort of suggesting that it, it was uh, you know just a coincidence that he happened to uh, have this uh, there's B O M B sure. in the name of the element. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's right. uh, it's uh, kind of hard to believe, and uh, it, it, it does make him make me suspect that uh, maybe maybe uh, Bart was uh, you know purposefully uh, making this uh, this statement as uh, over the top as uh, as possible, so that it, it, it could be taken. Yeah, tongue in cheek, so it could be taken at uh, at face value. But uh, of right. course, that's uh, that's hard to say. It it uh, does make me wonder if they, if uh, Gladstone uh, uh, ordered this uh, this statement uh, from Marx with the with the ex exact purpose that that if they had this kind of a disavowal from from Marx, then they could uh, publish the story. Because, Give them uh, some plausible yeah. deniability. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Because this was the first time that the story had been reprinted in the uh, yeah. uh, United States as well. Uh, it, it, it did appear in the uh, hardcover Carbox library uh, two years previously, but, uh, but it, it had never been reprinted in the comic book form. And, and even so, they, they had to make some slight uh, alterations to it. Uh, right, because this one's maybe... been a little bit controversial, right? Do you want to yeah. tell us, Faco, a little bit about the, um, the art? And the and the other changes that they made for this. Yeah, so uh, so apparently in the uh, Glaston reprint they uh, changed the facial features of the uh, Khrushchev uh, character a bit, uh, so that he, he he doesn't appear so stereotypically Russian. They uh, removed the uh, high cheekbones and uh, and also made his uh, lips uh, less less prominent. I, I I think those were the only two changes. I uh, I, I think he. Uh, Came out looking rather grotesque in the, in the new version, and then they also changed the uh, dialogue a bit so that one of the uh, repeated lines in this uh, story is that that he is uh, always saying to uh, uh, Uncle Scrooge, uh, "Rich pig of a duck." And in the uh, Gladstone reprint, they changed the word "pig" to "dog." So, right. so they, they they did sort of a uh, change in the other direction than what than what uh, Barks would have wanted to do. Uh, it's it's also interesting that Barks thought that it it, it would have been Better if he had actually uh, caricatured uh, the Brutopian leader as a, as a, as, a, as a pig. I, I, I would uh, imagine that would have been even even more controversial. But uh, yeah, uh, for, right, yeah. because like pig is a classic criticism of of American capitalism, right? So yes, yes. So he probably wasn't thinking about that when he when he kind of tossed that off. I imagine. Yeah, Ryan, right. I didn't tell you about this, but this one's been fairly mildly altered. I would say as far as some of the bark stories go. I'm not accustomed to there being like censorship over, you know, technically European features. But of course, you know, there's a there's a history of caricaturizing your your wartime opponents, even if the Cold War never turned hot. Yeah. So for the listeners, his head is uh, extremely pointy. It's kind of an egg shaped head. And then he has a big, big shoulders. He has got a big body inside his suit that you can see there. Um, I was I was trying to think of who it reminds me of. I realized it's a uh, it would be the boxer Bald Bull from Mike Tyson's punch out. Hmm. Look at look at him again, Mark, and tell me if that's not Bald Bull from Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Well, I, I need to look up Bald Bull because now I don't remember him. That okay, well, but um, yeah. but yeah, you're right. He's got the same the same shape. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, um, an another uh, interesting part in this uh, statement from Barks is that that he identifies this guy as a Brutopian uh, ambassador, but in in the in the story itself, he's he's never never called it. Uh, it's it's uh, never never made clear uh, exactly what it, what he is. He, he's he's never uh, referred to by any other title as well. But um, it would seem yeah, you know, I think he was probably 
he was probably mixing him up with the the later story swamp of no return because he's yes. going to use he's going to use the element um you know fictional country of brutopia which is an obvious stand-in for the soviet union mm. a couple more times he doesn't always do this but um he does have a brutopian ambassador in the swamp of no return um, yes and of and, course and, and, you know Brutopia is is a clear portmanteau of I saw everyone saying brute and utopia, but I, I think it's gotta actually be brutal and utopia are are probably the true words, right? Yeah. Um it's it's a great fictional country name. And and yeah, bombastium, obviously it's the word bombastic for fantastical or over the top, but but we're also evoking the bomb of the of the atom bomb. So Lots, lots to talk about. So you guys, so gentlemen, before we uh, before we launch into the story itself, I do like to take a moment to pander to our international listeners by talking about some of the translations of the different titles from around the world. Um, so, you know, Ryan, why don't you and I each tackle one and then Vaco, I think there are two of them that you had wanted to mention. All right, Ryan, <laughs> let's, uh, let's hear from the Italian. Uh, the Italians called this one Zio Paperone e il Tesoro Sotocero, Uncle I... Scrooge and the Sub-Zero Treasure. So, you know, Vaco, you didn't mention wanting to do the Finnish one. To me, it's kind of funny if I do the Finnish one and you can like react to mine. <laughs> um, so... You know, I've got I've got a Finnish uh, guest today, so why don't I go ahead? I'll I'll try. I, I've mentioned this before. Finnish, I find one of the most intimidating languages to try to do these for. So you you let me know how poorly I do. It is called Kilma Kalpa, a cold trade in most of the Finnish translations. Yes, that's a very very good very good. Uh pronunciation all right how, wow how, what would it sound uh, like if you said it um i i think there's also an uh, alternate title uh, which is a uh-huh. bit longer uh Robeseden Kylmäkauppa, uh, which is you know just the same thing but with uh, uncle scrooge right in 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 front so uncle scrooge is uh, called by or called bargain nice Excellent. So, Veiko, which uh, which two interested you? Right. So, uh, well, in keeping with the Cold War theme of this uh, story, I, I, I thought I'd uh, tackle a couple of uh, Slavic uh, languages. Yeah. So, uh, in uh, in Russian, this story is called Lidinaya Pakupka, which is a pretty uh, straightforward uh, translation. It means something like uh, icy bargain or uh, icy buy. And uh, and then in Polish, the, the Polish one is kind of interesting. It's uh, Kula Shrut Lodów and uh, I, I think uh, here the translator uh, may have been going, going for uh, a kind of a pun because, uh, well, the primary meaning of this uh, of this title would be uh, the the ball uh, among the ice, but uh, you can also also understand it as uh, the ball among the ice cream because the, the same word in, in Polish, uh, lodi means ice ice in 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 the plural or uh, ice cream. Uh, I'm, I'm 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 not quite sure if if, if it's uh, meant to be a pun, but uh, but uh, at least it has that. Uh, Right. Uh, well, it works. I, I like it when they kind of get get something. They go a little bit of an extra mile in in translation. A good translator will do that. You yourself are in translation, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Although you don't you don't do like fun comic book translation. You do more technical <laughs> uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I I haven't haven't done uh, any comic book translation. It's it's uh, mainly technical stuff. Uh, also some uh, subtitles for uh, films. Uh, those are, those are the, that's uh, something I've, I've done in the past and and, and still do uh, occasionally. Very cool, excellent. Uh, Thank you, guys. 
let's go ahead and talk about this, this excellent story. So this story opens up with kind of a classic trope, right? The character unexpectedly um, happening on an auction. We, we saw this, Ryan, in Terror of the River. It opens with Donald wandering into an auction and that much older Bark story. Um, but this is a Scrooge story. And right away, we see that this auction is a big deal because as he gets in, he sees that it's attended by bankers and tycoons from all over the world. And uh, they all look very serious. And, and the auctioneer, you know, he brings in the consignment with, with kind of a lot of ceremony, right? We can see, Ryan, do you want to tell us about the consignment itself and how it's brought in? Well, uh, there's uh, some armed guards with rifles uh, bringing in a block of ice with a strange orange ball inside. Uh, it's right. suspended. The ice is clear so you can see the, the orange ball suspended inside. Right. And, and, and the neat trick here is that Scrooge has no idea what it is. Um, nor does the reader, but everyone else there clearly does and is excited about it. So it's a really good way to build <laughs> suspense. And Scrooge is just placidly commenting that it looks like sherbet as the auctioneer, uh, you know, starts to explain uh, that the ball is a compressed ball of the rarest element known to man. Um, and Barks does actually make sh make a point of calling out the color as reddish. He doesn't usually, you know, he's never responsible, Ryan, for the coloring. So it's it's important that he mentions it here so that the colorers will actually keep consistent on this one. Yeah. Um, Vaco? Uh, yes, um, I, uh, I I hadn't noticed before that the word reddish, I mean, that could also be a Cold War trope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, the red. But um, apart from the fact that it, it's, it's kind of comical that they, they, they have this uh, block of ice that's, uh, that's already uh, melting there on the on the auctioneer's uh, <laughs> table with this right. uh, rare You can see the stream, but, streams yeah. of water pouring off the sides, yeah. yeah. I also yeah. think it's, uh, it wasn't until I had read the whole story and read it again that I caught the foreshadowing of it looks like sherbet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's going to end up being a good um, little bookended element. I guess it's worth noting, too, that it comes from the mines of the Belgian Congo, which has kind of a, a bloody and mysterious history, I guess. So the, the auction itself starts, and, and I think the auction scene is great because all these tycoons are super impatient to just get on with it. It's clear that there's like this desperate clamor to bid on whatever this thing is. <laughs> and, and so Scrooge basically, while he's wondering about this, he gets trampled by all these other desperate tycoons who start bidding immediately in fantastic numbers. Um, and there's this great panel where he's asking this random like other victim of the, the stampede from under their feet, just what is that stuff? And he gets he gets the explanation that it is the world's known supply of bombastium. Um, but the guy, he doesn't know. Tell us, Ryan, what, what's the only thing that this anonymous guy knows about it? Uh, it has to be kept frozen or it will evaporate on its own. Right. So so we're setting that up, this important detail, while the auction is going on. And, and we're really only meant to focus on two of the auction, the, the participants, right? Um, they're, they're clearly the only serious ones. Vaco, do you want to tell us about those two participants? Uh, yes, well, uh, one of them is the uh, uh, 
Brutopian uh, ambassador or or, maybe, or representative, uh, I representative, think. Yes, yes. And the uh, other one is the uh, director of uh, for General Scooters, which I I, pr- I presume is, is a is a job on on uh, General Motors, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, these two men are immediately like they're they're both desperate. They're scowling at each other. Um, we can tell they're the only serious bidders pretty quickly because they bid it up to uh, two hundred million. Um, and then three a bill, excuse me, two hundred billion and three hundred billion, respectively. <laughs> and we get this great panel of Scrooge pondering. Ryan, do you want to read his bit of dialogue on the bottom of page two? He says, "Fan my feathers. If the stuff is that good, perhaps I should buy it." I, I love it. Um, and he leaps up and he says, "General Scooters can't put my scooter factory out of business." And that goes for Brutopia too. And he immediately jumps the bidding up to one trillion dollars. What do you guys think of his uh, his reckless bid there? It did seem a little out of character. Uh, the the one later on where he where he raises the man by one sink seems more in character. Uh, right, which is just a few panels away. But yeah, but it, it's uh, you would think you would go oh three hundred billion and one cent seems the right, seems right. the difficult Scrooge McDuck bit. Yeah, Scrooge usually has the patience to do that, but but the purpose, the point, it's important for Barks, right? That Scrooge is going to really overextend himself so that he feels really desperate for the rest of this story because that's a big element of the story: his desperation and his regret. And Ryan, you mentioned the kitchen sink bit. This is one of the famous elements of this story, the funny gags. I love it. Scrooge's bid knocks the General Scooters guy out, but the Brutopian representative says that he's not through. My country, Brutopia, bids $1 trillion and all of the kitchen sinks of its happy people. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and when Scrooge inquires how many that is, the representative tells him five. And so, of course, he does the predictable and, and yet still, to me, hilarious thing of bidding one trillion dollars and six kitchen sinks. I love this scene so much, you guys. <laughs> it is it is fantastic. Yeah. And, yes. and we should keep in mind that this is back in uh, the 50s when a trillion dollars was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We didn't have anyone who could um, realistically claim to be racing as they are right now to become the f- world's first trillionaire. Right. Right. <laughs> although although with the uh, kind of sums that uh, Barks usually uh, has Scrooge, uh, you know, proclaim, it's, it's, it's kind of surprising that he, uh, he actually almost goes uh, bankrupt after uh, bidding this uh, $1 trillion. Yeah. You, you, you would think that, that that's uh, pocket money for, uh, for, uh, right. for Scrooge. This, but, uh, this story ends up causing, it's, it's a common question question for Barks fans of like, it's one of those ridiculous back of the napkin things of um, trying to think about how much money does Scrooge actually have. And it's a fool's game, right? Because number one, that's not the point of any of these stories. Number two, Barks (laughs) has like 10 to 20 stories where he'll name a different amount every time. But, but it's still kind of something that people like to obsess about. But this one really makes it difficult because you can see how much it diminishes his fortune by. I like to imagine that's just his like kind of his nostalgic money. It doesn't account for his treasures and etc. But anyway, Scrooge, yes. um, he escalates the bid and he does win it. 
Uh, I, I love the auctioneer. Do you mind reading that dialogue, Ryan? Sold to the little duck with the many sinks and the big bankroll. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, yeah, you can't, the... can't win an auction if you don't have enough sinks. That's, <laughs> That's just right. uh, the old well, adage. <laughs> and and, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the old saying, right? This is like, this is the everything but the kitchen sink. So the, the, the Brutopian has bid the entire value of his country and its kitchen sinks. That's a, a famous idiom in English. Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, it, if it's because of, of that uh, idiom, but uh, uh, this part is one that I rem remember being translated uh, uh, a bit differently in the, uh, in the Finnish, uh, Finnish edition. Yeah, uh, I'm curious. Uh, uh, there, the uh, Brutopian uh, dictator uh, says that he will he will uh, bid uh, one trillion dollars uh, and all the color television sets uh, of his uh, happy people. And, and then it turns out that uh, Brutopians have uh, five uh, color television sets. Nice. That seems yeah. like a good substitution if you don't have that that specific that very particular idiom. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, right. They, they, no. All right. So. When Scrooge wins it, of course, now he's got to figure out what do you actually do with it? The General Scooters guy hoped that it could power his factories for all eternity, but he is dismayed to find out that nobody knows. It's just this very rare element that everyone supposes must have a lot of power in its atoms. Um, but Scrooge, you know, he he's upset. He says he's been took. And the next... Uh, the next page is basically about Scrooge's buyer's remorse. We see him, we see him lock it away in in his very 1950s ice box, and we see him watching um, this convoy of armored trucks hauling out. Tell us about the specifics, Ryan, of the um, convoy. Um, uh, well, we just see a, a, a convoy of armored uh, trucks. You can see the rivets in the sides. They're all named Blink Money Express. And for days, truckloads of, of money are moving out of his money bin. <laughs> ten truckloads every day for ten weeks. So again, we could kind of calculate it if we were that kind of obsessive nerd. Um, but but I mean, the point <laughs> of this... we are, right? <laughs> I'm not quite that caliber, um, but I know right. that people have done done the math before. But but the point of this is to make Scrooge watch, right, and and despair. Mm. Uh, I suspect too that these trucks are kind of like blink and it's gone is is what it's supposed to evoke. There, yeah. We see him looking at the seventy foot mark on his money gauge, which is usually at the ninety nine foot mark, and <laughs> and you know you, you really feel for the. Uh, the miserly uh, trillionaire there. Um, <laughs> I didn't so, realize he's usually at the 99 foot mark. Yeah, I, I didn't know what the uh, what the what the comparison scale was there. I do see the crane in the background where he that he uses to scoop right. <laughs> scoop money out. Um, right. But yeah, that would imply he should have uh, probably a little over two trillion left in there if it's all uh, fairly uh, homogenous. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. This is why this like throws such a monkey wrench into people's efforts to to cal into nerds <laughs> efforts to calculate it. So at this point in the story, Barks is going to bring in Donald and the nephews uh, to get another perspective. And um, they just they want to see the bombastium. It's it's clearly become a famous thing in the papers. Um, and when Scrooge Scrooge opens the fridge, they see an ominous trail 
of uh, the puddle pooling of water showing that it's melted. It, there, there is still a crust of ice around it, but, but the ice block is nearly melted to Scrooge's horror because apparently the motor has stopped. Veiko, do you want to tell us about uh, why the motor has stopped? Yes. So in the next panel, uh, Scrooge says, I, I remember now, I got in a hassle with the electric company about my bill and they've turned the power off. Uh, this is one of those classic Barks bits where he um, he's going to show Scrooge's like penny pinching, causing him these these kinds of problems. It's very funny to me. <laughs> and this next sequence is one of the most slapstick that Barks has done in, an, in a while. I think this sequence is great. Your mileage may vary, but but basically the whole the whole span is devoted to the ducks taking that um, rapidly melting ball of bombastium to a special freezer plant. And you guys, I'm not going to go through every comic beat of this sequence, but do either of you have a favorite moment from this like slapstick part? I could tell I could tell where it was going as soon as they dropped it down the stairs and it bounces off the stairs and then rolls up a, a wooden plank. Who knows why the wooden plank is in right. there, <laughs> but it rolls up the wooden plank up to a, a like a drum of hot tar that's being fired up right now to to work on the street to make asphalt. And I was like, OK, it's time to buckle in. We're going right. to we're going to see how how crazy we can take this. And uh, he, he came up with some pretty good. some pretty good. He avenues. did. Probably the one that should be mentioned is that when it goes into the hot springs, you know, Scrooge pursues it down uh, down like into a geyser spouting. Um, and, and as Donald warns him, you'll be drenched. He says, who cares about a little drenching? I caught it. And that's going to be a repeated element later in the story. It's it's wonderful. It's slapstick. So I won't, you know, we can't talk too much about it because it's very visual. But ultimately, the ducks, they do make it with a very thin crust of ice to the freezer plant. Um, aren't aren't geysers boiling hot? I mean, wouldn't he surely have been killed? standing I, I standing directly vary. in the middle of the okay <laughs> I, I think they can vary in in how scalding they are or aren't okay um but but yeah i'm i would just be glad it's not my trillion dollars yeah that's true <laughs> one thing we'll never have to worry about until this podcast really takes off <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> mm -hmm. that's right uh this episode sponsored by the leaky cone ice cream company <laughs> so Next, Barks pulls it out, kind of, kind of literally, right? He pulls back as the ducks kind of ponder what else could go wrong for this um, ball of ice, and and they realize that you know, what if lightning struck and Duckburg had a, a blackout, had a power outage? Sparks is just escalating the worry and the dread for Scrooge at this point. And I think any of us could problem solve, you know, backup generators, um, blah, blah, blah. It's easy enough to be like, all right, you know, for a million bucks a year, I can be certain that I can keep this safe. But but for the point of the comic, it makes sense um, what the boys pr uh, propose as the solution. Veiko, you want to tell us about the proposed solution here? Uh, yes. So, uh, of course, the nephews turn to their uh, junior woodchucks, woodchucks uh, guidebook, mm -hmm. and they read that at first. Uh, Scrooge says, what am I going to do? A trillion dollar ball of bombastium could melt anywhere. And then uh, Huey, or whoever it is, uh, says, 
Oh, no, it couldn't. According to the Junior Woodchuck's guidebook, there is a place where it would stay frozen forever. The great ice mountains around the South Pole. And uh, immediately after that, Scrooge says, pack your things, boys. We're going to the South Pole. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty hasty there. Even that hastiness is, is a nice character beat, right? Because um, Donald is like, hey, hold your horses. You don't just buy a ticket. <laughs> you know, this is obviously an expedition. But I really like the panel uh, at the bottom of this page, gentlemen, where, where Scrooge says, don't blame me if I don't think of those angles, boys. I've been a, in a state of shock ever since I saw my trillion dollars go over the hill. That's a really nice character moment, right? Because um, it invests this sense of like despair and disappointment in Scrooge. And it's going to go a long way towards explaining some of the like uncharacteristically bad decisions that he's making throughout this story. So... The next sequence really is all about the preparations for the journey. Um, there's nothing too interesting about it, except we do get to watch Scrooge despairing as his scientists uh, grind out like a little, I don't know, like a thumbnail. What's a good comparison for that, that amount? Uh, like a thimble's worth of, yeah. of the bombastium to do like to do further testing. Um Ryan, did you notice the random little background gag at the top right? One of Bark's random background art. Uh, is it his curtains that have dollar signs on them? They're green curtains? I, I wasn't even noticing that, but that's a fun one, too. I was just noticing the picture that's just zow, fast buck. Yeah, with a, a coin that has legs and it's clearly running very quickly. Right. Just one of those little surreal <laughs> background elements um but yeah the scientists are going to be running experiments while they're on the expedition and and so we see them launch from a, a vessel that's pretty well outfitted it's an ice it's an ex-navy icebreaker that's some nice detail um but scrooge tells tells the ducks in a great bit of foreshadowing he says ryan do you want to read what he says at the bottom of the page there it's not the ship nor the crew that worries me now, Donald. It's that Brutopian guy. He said he'd see me again, and I'm beginning to wonder when. Yeah, it's very I, as ominous. the reader, had completely forgotten about him, and I don't think we'll be seeing him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and and whether you did or didn't, it's a it's a good little reminder. And and you know, it's interesting to me as we continue on the journey. Uh, as we embark on the journey, the tone is like boredom. Right? We're gonna. We're going to transition now to the nephew's point of view. This is obviously a long journey. Um, it is the first time that Barks has set an adventure or any story, as far as I know, in um, in Antarctica. So this is exciting. But, but the nephews are so bored that they're not even interested in the whales that are like frolicking all around the icebreaker. And, you know, they're despairing that they don't have any games aboard to play with and and so they make a decision to play a prank i really like this element of the story it's very whimsical but it feels it feels very um natural the way that barks has introduced it vaco do you want to tell us about the prank that they're going to play yes so they're going to going to make a, uh, another uh, ball uh, that uh, resembles the 
well, Bombastium, well, they say that they, they can freeze a block of colored ice and mm-hmm. carve uh, the ball from it. Then they, they add some uh, flavoring uh, to it to, to give color. So they, they, they start with uh, strawberry flavoring, then put some uh, orange extract to tone it down, and uh, uh, some vanilla to, to give it the uh, exact sh- uh, shade and so on. And, and, and then, then finally they... Uh, come up with with this uh, with this ball that that, that has uh, uh, exactly the same uh, shade of orange. Right. I I like this because it really feels like the kind of thing that like I would have done as a kid where I like to just randomly kind of mix flavors and stuff together. Um, right. I think it's neat and uh, we haven't seen too much of the nephews in the story so far. So, you know, once they have this matching block of ice, they talk about how they're going to um uh, use it to prank Uncle Scrooge. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? Also, I, I was just thinking as they're as they're talking their way through of how to make it look right. This is another kind of instructions to the colorist. Yeah, it's almost like mm. the colorist going, mm, "Nope, that's too red. I need to put a little orange in there to tone it down." <clears throat> yeah, this is one of the very few stories where every coloring of it should technically, at least this element of the story, every coloring should look pretty much the same. You know, I recently got to release Land Beneath the Ground, which is like a real landmark Scrooge story, one of his most famous ones. And the creatures in that are like these rock ball creatures, the Terries and the Fermies. And uh, it just varies widely whether the colorists made them like super colorful or made them look like actual rocks. So it's it's interesting to see what where he's like, okay, color really matters here so we're gonna we're gonna actually name it he even he even bolds the that's too red (laughs) we'll pour in some orange (laughs) extract i guess technically the album that i'm looking at right now yeah it's it's orange kind of an orangish brown to be honest so so anyway they're debating what they're gonna do with the ice are they just gonna play catch with it roll it back and forth when All of a sudden, their thoughts are interrupted by a, quote, large black something surfacing off of their starboard. And so here, this is where Barks is going to bring back that Brutopian threat. Because we've got, uh, Ryan, you want to tell us about what we've got? Um, At first, it looks almost exactly like the the sperm whales that have been like leaping out of the water in incredibly dramatic ways uh, around the ship for this whole journey. Uh, but then it then it has a tower and a gun on the top, and uh, it's um, clear that it's uh, a submarine, uh, an attack submarine. Right. Um, and Scrooge recognizes the the flag as his old friend. Yeah. <laughs> the flag, what, of course. You... The flag, of course, as we see on the bottom, just has a knife. It's just a a big unsheathed knife. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah, I was wondering what you guys think about. You know, it's not a hammer and sickle. Yeah. Although, although I think I think that in in one of the uh, later uh, Brutopia stories, uh, Barks does have this um, flag that kind of looks like the uh, hammer and sickle. Yeah. But uh, but but I, I I think here 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 it would have been a bit too much because uh, he, he uh, already <laughs> has had 
That's uh, so my, much of these uh, cold war tropes here. Right. It's some pretty clear. Um, it's some pretty clear signaling. They are a threat. Um, and, and of course, the nephews are very excited. Yes. To see a submarine because they are bored us, out of their gourds. Right. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about Ryan. What they do in their excitement. They instead of playing with the ice ball as part of their prank, they just put it in the freezer with the real one right next to it. Uh, and the two of them appear identical to my eyes, uh, which I think is an important part of the plot here. And then they run right. out onto the deck saying. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and so we do indeed see the um Brutopian now dressed up in kind of some like military garb coming out of the submarine and saying, I love his line here. He says, My country, Brutopia, bids you greetings, rich pig of a duck or, you know, dog of a duck, depending on what you're looking at. I've got to say, dog of a duck doesn't work too badly. As far as changes, they both sound like pejoratives. Dog of a duck um, is, you know, alliterative at least. So, right. so that works okay. And, and you know, there's no... There's no time wasted. Vaco, d- d- did it strike you that in other stories, Scrooge would have made some effort to hide the ball, right? Uh, yeah, probably, probably. I mean, yeah, you're right that there's uh, there's no no time wasted uh, generally in this uh, in the in the story. It's it's, it's very uh, fast moving and and. Uh... Yeah, that's uh, that's one of one of the things I uh, I like about it. I, yeah, I agree, and I think the the reason Barks is able to do this to kind of gloss over Scrooge's efforts at like mm-hmm. safeguarding it is is because he's so broken from that you know earlier experience, right? Um, and the timing is so important in this next sequence here, right? Barks does such a nice job of of Scrooge, the the uh the representative gives does a literal shakedown right he grabs him <laughs> by by his coat and tells him what brutopia wants brutopia takes you're giving me that bombastium um and so scrooge walks to the freezer and he's just crying and despairing as he's going to grab the ball uh and and you know it's only him approaching the freezer one of the nephews wants to offer he makes an excuse to get it but the brutopian pulls him back and by the time he approaches the the freezer with the air sats ball he's so blinded by tears that he doesn't notice that there are two of them what do you guys think of that perspective shot you know where the reader sees him uh, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, um, especially if, you know, if you're really, really weepy uh, like he is, um, things might appear double anyway. Like he, he probably doesn't even seem suspicious. Right. Uh, yeah, I, re- I really like how this is staged. <laughs> um, and the whole time the reader is like really tense and wondering, you know, are we going to get are we going to give him the real ball or not? Is he going to notice um, and I like the uh, I like the quick thinking nephews. I like that Huey has already like done all the math, and he's like, "No, no, I can I can fix this problem. I know exactly what to do for this." Yeah, and, and it's that's a good point too because Barks trusts us as readers enough not to give us a panel where they're like conferring with each other. The hey, if you <laughs> if we yeah. can convince him, then maybe he will take the wrong one. We just we just know. Yeah. We're also clever little boys. They know. We're all clever little <laughs> boys together with Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yes, that's right. Um, 
So the, the next part, it's, it's very predictable, right? We know it's going to happen. The nephews are going to reveal that there's still a ball, but Barks, he unrolls it. He lays it out in a, in a very neat way. Um, the nephews show him once the Brutopians left, look. So the nephews are, they're kind of like cautioning him. They're telling him, basically, we, we did this joke we don't know if this is your real bombastium or not. Um, and there's this really tense moment where they are staring at it and they decide that the only way to figure it out is by giving it a lick and seeing if it tastes like any of those flavoring agents that they use. And unfortunately, the first nephew gives it a lick and says, oh, I taste strawberry. And then the next nephew tries it again and says, I taste orange and uh, vanilla. And, and then they despair that it it would be the ice ball. And they, in frustration, they get ready to throw it into the ocean. And, and then at that moment, Donald decides that he needs to have a taste of something sweet after the day's bad luck. And he detects a taste of peppermint. Um, and... And as the nephews are puzzled because they didn't put in any peppermint, Scrooge gets ready to chuck it into the ocean. And just before he does, he sees that telltale little dent where the scientists scraped out all that testing material. And he real and they realize that they've got this the ball of bombastium still safe and and with them on board. Ah, I, I love that sequence, you guys. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful payoff. Um, any thoughts, Vaco? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a great great uh, uh, sequence. Really, really uh, one of these uh, cliffhanger moments uh, because the uh, panel where uh, Scrooge notices the uh, notices that it that his bombastium is, is at the very edge of the end, uh, end of the page, and right. we're uh, not sure if he, if he if he actually uh, will throw it, but uh, but then uh, of course of course he doesn't when he uh, realizes that it's, uh, it's bombastium, and I almost threw it overboard, and then right and then he yeah, almost, and he, uh, passes out. It's very well timed with like the architecture of the comics page. Uh, any comments, Ryan? It also does seem a little unscroogey. Yeah, I think I think it depends on him being just just at the end of his rope and he's been completely emotionally burned out by this whole experience. And because uh, I think I think uh, your usual Scrooge, your clever Scrooge would have he would have gotten it tested. And then maybe even if it is just sherbet, uh, maybe still try and sell it as Bombastium and um, <laughs> recoup some of that money, you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty yeah. convincing looking. Um, I guess it's worth noting, too, that we've got a little bit of cartoon logic here where they can like kind of taste different distinct flavors um but but you know that's fine i i also really like where the sequence continues on the next page as they all kind of take turns licking it again and uh and they they alternate from the different uh, ryan do you want to tell us the different flavors they alternate through rapid fire uh we get banana peach cherry wintergreen guava chocolate tamarind lime butterscotch um, I like that they're sophisticated enough to recognize tamarind. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they uh maybe that's one of their favorite uh, favorite treats. Right. And this this uh this wasteful licking is enough to revive Scrooge because as he says, you freeloaders slurp a million dollars worth of bombastium every time you lick a flavor. And he snorts. Mm. 
And and just at that moment, Veiko, you want to tell us what happens? Yeah, so we, we have the uh, sound of it bump and then see that uh, something has uh, bumped into the uh, boat. Uh, Scrooge cries, what now? And uh, we see the boat well, gets thrown overboard. And it's, it's a whale that has come uh, come up uh, under the ship. And uh, there goes the uh, Bombastium, which works on the top of the whale. Yeah, why don't you tell us about the the, the sequence, this quick little whale sequence? Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of the most... Uh, exciting sequences in this uh, story so uh, so uh, of course uh, scrooge uh, immediately uh, jumps overboard on the on the top of the whale and uh, is uh, chasing this uh, ball of bombastium and, and it goes down the whale uh, from this hole that the, the, the whales have on, on their back but i, I don't know what's the uh, oh in english it. it's it's a blowhole blowhole right right this is uh, it went in there and the nephews or, or maybe Donald is uh, uh, crying get back Uncle Scrooge get back you'll be drenched but what happens is that the uh, whale uh, blows the the, the, wall, the, the ball uh, back with this uh, roar and, and then uh, uh, Scrooge repeats this line who cares about a little drenching I called it it's it's a very goofy little slapstick yeah. bit but but it works for the repetition um, and I love that panel of him <laughs> spanning the length of the whale in pursuit of the bombastium oh yes yes (laughs) when disney when disney finally gets around to making the live action uh, movies of all of these comics this is going to be the the key action set piece of this uh, of this feature film yeah that'll be a real (laughs) showstopper so let's see we're pretty we're pretty far into the story at this point you guys and we have just arrived to Antarctica, um, the last continent that the ducks have not, have yet to to explore, have yet to be on in the bark stories. And being Antarctica, there's not too much interesting about the the continent from a, a comic book artist's perspective. So, so he he's going to really do what he can with this part of the story art wise, you know, but, um, but I think most of the, the interest of the rest of the story is going to lie in, uh, in who he meets there. We're going to encounter Antarctica's most famous inhabitants, the penguins. Um, I do like the panel of seeing the icebreaker at work, you know, um, uh, tearing through the, the ice shelf there, making their way in because they do still reference wanting to be hidden from the Brutopians. And the next part of the story, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Basically, they they need to walk inland towards those mountains. They need to where they're going to bury the bombastium and carefully document it. And uh, and that's it. But it doesn't. It's not going to go as planned because as they land, they have they have a fun little encounter with the penguin. Uh, does one of you is one of you particularly? Yeah, tell us so, Ryan, about uh, the encounter. We we get them. Uh, the artist you'll notice uh, introduces them as we see the the bigger shot, the wide shot of the icebreaker ship cracking through the ice. You see the tiny penguins watching from a cliff as the right. ship comes in, and then um, as uh, as our hikers have all their expedition gear and they're walking through the the ice and snow, uh, they come across uh, kind of a line of penguins. And Scrooge starts speculating how he could make money from penguins. <laughs> and then he notices that the bombastium must have rolled out of his knapsack. And then he spots it being sat upon by um, by one of uh, one of the penguins. 
And then, uh, and then for the rest of the issue, we are almost certainly misgendering this penguin because the male penguins are almost always the ones uh, sitting on the eggs, especially an egg that they just encounter. So, uh, but we call we call we call him a her the rest of the issue, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't I didn't catch that. I didn't think of that. You're right. It's the uh, it's the female penguin generally that lays the eggs and then goes off to find food as yeah. the male stays with the chick. And I, and the egg is usually like on their feet. It's it's a it's a yeah. whole process. It, it Anyone? Is, they do show uh, like his stomach uh, feathers kind of going over the top of it like a real penguin would do, though. So it's it's mm. it's not exactly right, but it's in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the the penguins are all drawn um, very like I'd say they're very realistic slash cute. You know, these these are not like cartoon penguins. They definitely evoke real penguins like he was using one of his National Geographic references or something. Yeah. And I, I love the element of the, the penguin in the story. I think it's very cute. <laughs> we see as as Scrooge recovers the egg and says, get off of that, you moon-eyed old setting hen. That's no egg, as, as he recovers the bombastium. <laughs> um, we, we see them walk off, and she's got a thought balloon that is just like a little heartbreaking as she imagines a little chick emerging from, from what he or she supposes uh, is an is a penguin egg. Um, any comments, Vaco? Yeah, well, I, I uh, like penguins in in, uh, in general, so 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 this is definitely one of my uh, favorite sequences in this uh, in this in this story. Yeah, I, I think it's delightful. I like penguins as well. And Barks has a narrator box tell us the cold miles pass swiftly, um, and the ducks are stuck in a blizzard which I guess would be would be quite a surprise, right? Because like Antarctica famously is a cold desert. Um, so I wonder if it's a windstorm rather than a blizzard. But, uh, but that's oh, yeah. just a little pedantic thing to point out, mm-hmm. um, that it's very rare that it actually snows there, but, the, but rather it's accumulated snow over millions of years. So the ducks can't see each other is the point of this sequence. And they kind of go down the line, making sure that everyone is still there. And when we get to the end of the line, Scrooge says, well, if I am behind all of you, who is this behind me? And sure enough, it is Vaco. Do you want to read his, his bit of dialogue there? It's uh, that, that doggone egg-happy penguin. Of has this uh, thought, thought bubble with the, with the uh, chick getting out of the egg again. Yeah. <laughs> she's very determined to get that egg um and and i really like this very funny panel of him stewing as they laugh about how you've made a friend for life she's gonna follow you to the south pole to get that quote egg and we get a great silhouetted panel where he's saying i've never been so embarrassed in all of my life <laughs> uh let's see ryan do you want to tell us about the next sequence when they arrive at a likely spot to bury it um, so they they find a spot on the slopes of the ice mountains of Antarctica, uh, and I, I assume it was chosen for being in the middle of nowhere and mm-hmm. for never getting warm enough to melt anything. So they start kind of just digging a, a hole in the ice uh, in the snow and um, slowly lower it in while the penguin looks on <laughs> with some distress uh scrooge scrooge notes that he can't put a marker there to show where it's been hidden because then it wouldn't be hidden anymore he just has to write down the precise latitude and longitude uh which he does in a notebook and everybody's 
pushing <laughs> Donald is pushing the the uh, penguin back, trying to explain to the penguin in English right. <laughs> that this is not an egg. Uh, it's, it's just a, a weird ball of some new element, you know, <clears throat> for some reason, the penguin doesn't seem to understand. Um, and, uh, the penguin is forlorn and sits on the spot now that has been re reburied and they're concerned that the penguin will try to dig it back up. So they, uh, put a leash on it and, and start hauling it back as part of the, the convoy back to society. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like seeing Scrooge sighting. The, the coordinates using an actual sextant, always a nice touch. I really, you got to really feel for that penguin in this sequence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even in the last frame, he's, he's walking off uh, looking at his notebook. So pleased with himself and pulling the leash with the penguin and the penguin is still looking back with an obviously very worried look on its face. Right. And she's not supposed to bury an egg. You're not supposed (laughs) to bury an egg in the snow. That's not a good thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The penguin knows what's up. Um, And and even into the next sequence, and, no, and no, even no. into the next sequence, you know, she's there sulking as the Brutopian representative returns for the last time. He's he's taken what I assume must be a pretty risky journey in a helicopter down to the South Pole, and he gets out very angry, saying, "My country, Brutopia, bids you no greetings, rich pig of a duck." <laughs> Uh, because Brutopia's happy people are angry at you for fooling them with a ball of flavored ice. I do like these repeated references to the happy people of Brutopia who only have five <laughs> kitchen sinks. That really tells us we don't need to like state the obvious about what Barks, how Barks is describing uh, the Soviet Union's analog here. Mm. So, you know, he runs at them but he is tripped up by the penguin and and finally he resorts to a little trick with his helicopter so you know the the brutopian has his pilot basically hover above them and and blow them back using the helicopter's you know force um and is finally able to grab that he finds Scrooge's notebook. He immediately figures out that it must be important. He spots the notation about the coordinates, <laughs> latitude, umdidum, longitude, ddum. You know, it's Barks will sometimes use real coordinates in these stories, but doesn't really matter for this one. And as the Brutopian is about to tell the pilot where they're going to go, they get a message from their shortwave radio from Scrooge McDuck's scientists trying to contact him. Do you want, Vaco to tell us about the message that they get from home? Uh, right. So they get this message uh, saying, Ork, crack. Uh, station XK2 uh, Duckburg trying to contact Scrooge McDuck somewhere in the South Pole. It's, it's a message from uh, Uncle Scrooge's scientist, and uh, Donald asks uh, Hugh to give, give them a single to read. And uh, then they tell, tell that they have found a use for a bomb- bombastium. They found the only use for a bombastium. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and I guess it's really obvious uh, uh, what, this, uh, what this use is, but uh, uh, Scrooge says that. Uh, he, he just wants to turn it off. Who cares? Because he, he doesn't have this polypromatium anyway. But the dictator uh, uh, comes, uh, comes back and says, I care. Uh, this news could save my, my country, Brutopia, many years of experiments. So then they, uh, then the scientists say that uh, bombastium makes ice cream. One atom of bombastium dropped into a barrel, a barrel of water makes a barrel of ice cream. And every barrel is a different flavor, pistachio. 
peach, pomegranate, pineapple, cherry, coconut, and of course the uh, Brutopian dictator uh, won't have any of these things. But what use is that to Brutopia? In Brutopia, the happy people do not eat ice cream. Which, uh, by the way, not a moron, I think. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. uh, This is one detail that uh, Bars got wrong about the Soviet Union because, uh, at least when I've been in uh, in Russia in post-Soviet times, they they eat eat a lot of ice cream. Uh, Even in the winter, they they have these uh, ice cream trucks uh, selling it uh, to the people on the streets. So wow, ice like ice cream trucks even during the winter. Oh yes, yes. Oh, that's cool. Stands maybe. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. So you guys. this is a definitely like a comic book moment. You know, this is a very Disney moment because for one, it's a very whimsical outcome. You know, Bombastium is not going to be an analog for any kind of atomic bomb. It's it's all about ice cream. It's obviously very silly. Uh, it's it's a it's a leap, but I do find it very funny and very satisfying. What do you think, Ryan? Any thoughts about the ultimate use for bombastium here? Yeah, uh, I like it. I like I like that there's a twist. I like that it's not actually a an endless power supply or or some other kind of thing that for them to fight over. I like that the MacGuffin is is just ice cream, just a, tri- a trillion gallons of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And every atom, right? So I guess, right. I guess technically, if you like really, you could probably figure out a way to generate electricity if you're getting a, a whole barrel of something from something the size of an atom. <laughs> but um, but anyway, we're, we're not meant to think too much about it. We're, we're just supposed to know that 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 there is an outcome and it's something that the that the young kids reading this are going to really relate to and they're going to find it really delightful but because the brutopian you know is definitely not interested in the joy that ice cream can bring he takes the unforgivable step of burning the notebook so that no one can have it how mad were you guys at the Brutopian? And and is the answer so mad? <laughs> I was super, super mad. Yeah. It seemed it seemed so petty, just so spiteful. It it benefits him nothing. It's not even like he spent any money on the thing. He just chased it, you know, and and right. now he, you know, resents it like he's been he's been fleeced somehow. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was I was pretty mad as well at, uh, as well, but uh, I was also mad at uh, Uncle Scrooge because uh, uh, before in the story he had always said uh, uh, when he was uh, reading uh, reading his notes even even in his own mind uh, let it do so and so let it do so and such so he, he didn't say the the uh, numbers himself and maybe uh, that way he, he could have actually memorized them instead of just right. having them you know, on this on this uh, yeah this is another paper. example of him being very careless um, probably not quite in his in his you know at his best um right. hopefully barks has done a good job of justifying that because yeah we can all say that oh he should have had all the ducks chanting the numbers together so that they memorized it etc cetera, etc cetera. if i had 100 dollars buried somewhere i would memorize <laughs> its location so well <laughs> right right <laughs> So I like I like that in this uh, almost closing sequence, you know, he gets to commiserate in his misery with Pengi, as he calls the penguin (laughs) at this point. Um, And then they check to see if there's any follow up information from Duckburg. And they learn that uh, our episode sponsor, the the Leaky Cone Ice Cream Company, would like to buy (laughs) the ball of bombastium offering. 
you know, business 101, I'm thinking says um, cost plus 10%, right? It's is probably uh, a good, good ballpark. But for little kids reading it, we're just going to double it. They're offering $2 trillion for the ball. Um, so Scrooge could even have turned, boy, not just a profit, quite a profit. Yeah. And and the ducks, you know, they're gonna give it the old try. They're gonna see if they can remember, or he can't remember, but they're gonna see if they can find it. And at this point, you know, they turn the penguin loose to let her head back to the coast, having no doubt forgotten all about the quote egg by now. But predictably, you know, this is Antarctica. It's it's all ice. There's a few mountains, but there there's nothing to reference. Uh, and there's no way that they're going to find it. And, and then this story wraps up. It, it, the resolution is excellent, I think, because, uh, of course, we've all read stories about animals doing incredible things that are like physically impossible for humans, that they have some kind of innate sense. Indeed, one of the ducks spies something on the horizon and through the binoculars, they see that it is that devoted, adorable penguin. And she is trudging to a spot that she seems to know where she's going. And sure enough, she she leads them to the ball of bombastium, thinking it's an egg. Um, Ryan, what does Scrooge say uh, so magnanimously when she finds the bombastium and sits on it. This old girl can sit on the bombastium for a while. She can even melt off a few billion dollars worth. She's earned it. <laughs> it's it's pretty uncharacteristic, but it's also, it does feel very earned for Pengi there. Yeah. Um, and then it wraps up with a, a fun little book ending. Vaco, do you want to tell us the how the story wraps up? Yes, yeah, so, so then we're uh, back uh, in an auction uh, with the text telling that uh, so now, whenever Uncle Scrooge goes goes to the auction, people think he's a little queer, and then, then there are people uh, whispering about Scrooge. That's the fabulous uh, Scrooge McDuck. Indeed, I've heard of him. They say he always makes uh, one rather strange purchase. Yes, a penguin egg. He buys he buys one every time a new shipment comes comes in from the uh, from the Antarctic. Does anyone know what he does with the egg? Yes. He ships it back to the Antarctic to be given to a certain penguin. A certain penguin? Fancy that. And then and then we see uh, Scrooge making his very generous bid. A dollar. I bid a dollar for the penguin egg. Right. It's very cute. I like it. I think it's a nice, it's a pretty abrupt ending, but but I think it's a nice way to bookend it with the auction and and wrap it up to to show that that gratitude, that very uncharacteristic gratitude that he shows for the penguin. And that is that is a cold bargain, gentlemen. I I really enjoyed talking about this one. Let's uh let's go ahead and share, you know, our our overall thoughts about the story. Ryan, do you want to go first? Sure. I like it a lot. I like, you know, we go somewhere new again. We're kind of facing off against uh a real villain, which we don't always get in these stories mm -hmm. and and then the penguins are very cute and the penguin is the hero of the story and like everybody kind of gets a happy ending except for the happy people of brutopia <laughs> right yeah as someone who um i haven't had you do a ton of the scrooge adventures i know you got to do the secret of atlantis which is a very famous one 
what did you think of this as just like uh, as a Bark Scrooge story as someone who's who hasn't read a ton of these over many decades? Yeah, I mean, it seemed it seemed very Scroogey to me. You know, some circumstances come up and he sees an opportunity to make a lot of money and uh, things get pretty crazy. And then he's walking on a whale. And and uh, yeah, there's some there's some adventure. There's a little bit of peril. uh, There's a little bit of quick thinking. Right on. A little bit of luck. Yeah. Yes. Uh, excellent. And what, what about you, Veiko? What What are your What's Where are you on this one? Well, yes. I mean, uh, as I mentioned, it, it is it is one of my favorites of the uh, late fifties uh, Scrooge stories. I I of course like the uh, Cold War uh, theme that's uh, that's there. I like the fact that it's it's so uh, fast moving, uh, as, I, as I as I mentioned, and also since I uh, generally uh, tend to like the uh, ten pagers more than the uh, long adventure stories, I, I I like the fact that the beginning of the stories is sort of like a uh, almost a uh, ten pager. I think it goes on for nine pages when they're just hunting the uh, ball of bombastium still uh, back in in uh, in Darkburg. and and then then uh, since I'm um, bit of a animal lover i i always like these uh, uh stories with uh with, with some other uh, animals and and as, as, uh, especially these stories where uh, uh scrooge has this uh, uncharacteristic uh, fondness for uh, for some animal here for the penguin and uh, i i think there, there's another another story where he uh, he uh, also set somewhere in a snowy location where uh, where he, he has uh, gets gets friendly with uh, with uh, with some uh, some dog i i can't remember which uh, which story that was oh yeah uh, north North of the Yukon with yeah, uh, North Yukon, yeah. with old Barco, the the Balto tape. Yeah, that's right. that's a, a right. fun one. That's probably Scrooge at his softest. Interesting seeing this kind of soft version of Scrooge. You know, you mentioned that this one kind of opens like a 10-pager. I think you're right. And and it kind of feels like a good compliment to that Secret of Atlantis story I did with you, Ryan, how that one opens as a 10-pager, and then it kind of expands into an adventure. Although this one never really loses that kind of semi-slapsticky tone. It is nice. I think it's nice that the Brutopian does feel like like a threat, right? Because the story is otherwise so lighthearted. That's true. I, I At one point, uh, you could miss the point where where uh, the representative from Brutopia, when he's taking control of the situation in Antarctica and Donald is trying to get the notebook, uh, the Brutopian says, must I do a Brutopian folk dance on your thick head to teach you that I am boss here? Right. Yeah, that's a good thing to point out because he he's a heavy, right? And he he pulls a gun on them, doesn't he? I don't remember the gun. Why do I? Why am I visualizing him with a gun? Um, maybe I'm misremembering. I know that they've got the gun ship pointed, huh? Yeah, the submarine does have its turrets. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, no, anyway, he's just twice their size. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He he's he is a genuine threat. Um, I think this is a great story. I think it. I think it lands really well. I think it holds up really well. It's definitely a bit of a Cold War artifact, but but in in the best way. For the same reasons you said, Vaco, you know, it's a neat look. It's it's nice that it it kind of softens Scrooge, but he's never like overly soft, right? He's still definitely Scrooge McDuck in this one. Um, and the penguin is just adorable. It's it's a lot of fun all around. I, I remember reading this one a lot as a kid over and over so you guys i mentioned that you know i really like this story this is a a favorite of mine it's maybe not like a all-time favorite but it's it's pretty close it's it's pretty high up there for me and we like to check in on the duck community 
as seen through the website Index, which is a great resource for all Disney comics um, and has a nice ranking system where people will will assign uh, a value to it. So it's 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 a good, if imprecise, way to get a feel for the community. So this one does rank very highly. This has an 8.0 out of 10 as of today. You know, these do change a bit over the time, but they generally stay pretty consistent. And that's good for number 35 out of all like roughly 42,000 Disney comics that are ranked on the site. Um, and it, so if you pull out just the Barks ones, I don't know exactly where it lands, but that's probably roughly the top 25 or so stories. So, so this is a very well-remembered, very well-regarded story. As, as far as how this, uh, as far as follow-ups or other Disney comics or other media, um, you know, I don't think there's ever been a lot of big sequels from big name artists. Um, a number of other Disney comics artists and writers have used like Brutopia as a setting or like a fictional country. I know that Don Rosa in one of his stories briefly, like I think he'll use the representative as like a just a background character occasionally, but he never did any of his sequels or follow-ups to this. Ryan, do you remember back in the 80s, DuckTales had a big five-episode arc where they went back in time and they encountered the cave the cave duck Bubba. <laughs> huh. Bubba that... Duck. He he's a char- he's a recurring character in the DuckTales series that a lot of Barks fans and, and I guess a lot of DuckTales fans don't like he's a pretty annoying character but the kids tended to like him so they they used him anyway uh the time machine that gyro gearloos built that takes them back to the past um in this episode which is called in this five episode arc which is called time is money that time machine was powered by bombastium naturally yes <laughs> so um duck we found a never... second use we found a second use for bombastium <laughs> the, sh- the ice cream thing and also time travel right. roughly equal i would say in yeah. usefulness <laughs> yeah so so ducktales mm. never really tackled the story but they used they just used bombastium as this throwaway element i think it rolls off the tongue nicely so other than that, again, other artists have used Brutopia, and I think the Brutopian representative has appeared occasionally. All right. So you guys, we're about ready to wrap up. I'm I'm really glad to have covered this one. But before we go, are there any panels that like really stood out to you that we didn't already get to highlight? Uh, my favorite was uh, at the auction after... Scrooge and uh, another guy who is not a duck, he has a pointy beak, uh, have been pushed over and and now they're just like under the feet of the other of the other auction attendees. Uh, and they're just chatting with each other. And so I just like the shot of the two of them just chests down on the ground. And then you see all the legs and shoes behind them as they're talking with each other about what's going on in this scene. And uh, it's just, I mean, it's just exposition. You have to, you have to uh-huh. dump some exposition here at the beginning. And he just found a really interesting way of framing that in, in a visual medium. Yeah. I think that's a great one to highlight, mostly because that entire auction, just panel by panel, um, is is very funny, very well drawn. I especially like the one where the Brutopian is just 
staring daggers at the general scooters guy and scrooge is just placidly <laughs> considering them still still on the floor um from that trampling so so yeah i would encourage readers to really take a look at that whole auction sequence because it is a, it is a delight uh what about you vaco uh yeah i mean this uh, this story doesn't really have any of these uh, uh splash panels that uh, that barks was uh, famous for uh, there's one uh, oversized panel in the on the very first page but it just shows uh, Scrooge going going into the into the auction so it's it's, it's not like a, a spectacular panel or anything so I I, I think I, I would have to name this uh, very last uh, panel uh, with uh, Scrooge and and the uh, penguin as my as my favorite I think it, it, it is just so uh, funny and uh, heartwarming the way he's uh, every every is uh, smiling and and uh, penguin is, is so happy Scrooge is so happy it's it's uh, it is it's yeah. it's adorable it's a great one awesome well you guys thank you so much for joining me to um to go over this really interesting story i i really do appreciate it people can check out bark's remarks on the various social sites we're on facebook and instagram and join us next time when we will be covering a really fascinating story land of the pygmy indian Brian, read us the last bit of dialogue to close us out. He says, a dollar. I bet a dollar for the penguin egg. Awesome. Thank you guys again. Thank you.